Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you all. I don't know if you recognize uh, the tune during the passing of the piece. Make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. And you will be happy too. Man, oh, mom. Mom, someone clap for my singing. Never thought that would happen. All right, for those of you who like chick flicks, you probably recognize this song. At least at those of you who like things like Sleepless in Seattle. They played that song, Make Someone Happy. Just one someone happy, and you will be happy too. Seems like a pretty good goal, doesn't it? I mean... We're here talking about marriage, we're wrestling our way through the book of Ephesians, and here we have a song that says, man, if you could just make one someone happy, you will be happy too. Should that be our goal? And let me start off by saying no. No, it shouldn't be ultimately our goal. We're going to see why in a minute. Because really, how can we successfully make someone happy? happy. Maybe if the goal was temporarily, temporary titillation, you know, uh, but the song makes someone temporarily amused. Make just one somebody temporarily feeling a little bit better. Just doesn't have the same ring, does it? That makes someone happy. How do we make someone Deeply, truly, completely happy. Should that be the goal of our marriage? Let me tell you something. Right now as we begin, if the goal is to make one someone happy, truly, deeply, emotionally, in all the ways we can make them happy, if our goal is to make that someone happy, the pursuit for that someone will be endless. And the trail of brokenheartedness and disappointment along the way would be just scattered of the debris of love and the goal of trying to make someone happy. Is it biblical? Is it a biblical goal? God's going to tell us a lot about marriage. He's going to tell us husbands today, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Therefore, is our goal to make that someone happy called our spouse. Let's dig in and find out. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. We have made our way to Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 33. Next week, uh, we'll come back and spend one more week on marriage. Uh, we'll be just looking at verse 33 and Right here, our very own Ray Cohn has told me, I don't know if he's a prophet, but he's told me when I preach on Ephesians 5.33, revival's going to happen in our church. We will never be the same. You know how scared I am to preach next week's sermon? Man, anything short of this place turning upside down, we're going to go for it though, big fella. You're going to be praying, aren't you? All right. Won't be here. I might not be either if that's the case. All right. Let's read God's holy inerrant word together. He loves us. This is the greatest love story, the greatest love letter ever written. 
it'll always lead us to truth because it'll always lead us to God. It'll always be reveal the truth about ourselves. And although it could be ugly at times, it'll be beautiful in Christ. It is holy. It's been preserved for us without error. And it's our authority. And of all the love letters that we'll ever receive and all the poems we could ever write, there's nothing greater than this. So as we journey through God's Word together, let's give it the respect and uh, the, just the authority that we recognize it's due and stand together. And let's read Ephesians 5, verses 23, I'm sorry, 25 through 33. Now wives, listen, don't elbow your husband during the reading of this, please. Okay. Let's read. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of His body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Next week's sermon. Let us pray. Father, we ask as we stand here in your presence that you would come with such power and authority that you would speak through a broken vessel like me. That God, in the way that only you could do, that supernaturally you would open up our ears to hear from You and Your Son and Spirit. The Spirit of the living God, You would shine brightly into our minds so that we can understand what are You calling us as the church to do? Those of us who are men. Those of us who are married. Those of us who are wives. Those of us who are women. And those of us who are male or female, single, young or old. Because this is Your Word and we need to understand it. And it's for all of us today. Father, would You love us enough to squeeze what's remaining in our hearts that's hard and sinful and unbelieving. And would You reveal Yourself to us in such a way today that, God, our hearts beat for You. And Father, would You love us enough that we will walk out of here as imitators of Christ, as dearly beloved children, that we would walk in light as children of light. So would You empower our feet so that we won't have to be hypocrites, that we can truly love You and, Father, know that we're sinners saved by Your grace and walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. God, the things that are true and contain the good news of the Scriptures and the Gospel, would You use those things to make us more like Jesus? And the things that are wrong or just merely my opinion, would they quickly fall away and be forgotten? Father, we pray that You and You alone receive glory and we receive great joy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. You know, one of those moments in my life that shaped my life forever 
was a reality that I couldn't make my someone happy. God has blessed me with an incredible someone and I've gotten her permission to tell this part of our marriage. But in a lot of ways, if you look at the Jakes family, God's grace is there from start to finish. In a lot of ways, I believe you could say there's an American dream come true. It's a marriage of 22 years. It's a marriage that God has produced four healthy children. It's a marriage with a nice home. It's a marriage with a fun, loving spouse. A romantic marriage. I mean, really, it's a marriage that I would say I'm so grateful and thankful for. And yet, a marriage that had to crash on the rocks of reality that I could not make my one someone happy. And it was cruel. And it was painful. Because in all of life, the one thing that I really, really wanted to accomplish was to have my someone be loved well enough by me that I completed her, that I filled the broken pieces, that somehow my love is strong enough, good enough, you know, all those words, it will scale any mountain, it will swim any sea, somehow my love will make her happy. And in the midst of our American dream, we realize there's still broken pieces. And if happiness was the ultimate goal, how come we in our marriage and a good, healthy, strong, biblically based marriage still found happiness often elusive? Can anybody relate? It was then that I realized, and this was probably, oh goodness, it was probably seven or eight years ago, that the realization that I didn't have the love my wife needed. That she needed to be loved by someone else. And someone better. And someone with greater capacity to love than I could offer that in my marriage I had to turn her, really her focus, her attention, her needs to another man named Jesus. And the realization is, is that He and He alone could reach into the darkness. And He and He alone could be the lover of her soul The song in her soul and in her life. And what she really, really needed was not a husband who was ridiculously sold out in love with her that I am. A husband who did what he could to love her. What she needed was a Savior. What she needed was her Creator. What she needed was her ultimate soulmate. And his name is not Jeff. His name is Jesus. And I was now responsible to carry her in the arms of faith to Him. Loving her now meant not that I would be her Savior. And men, I want you to know I wanted to be it. And I want you to know it hurt that I wasn't enough. It was painful. And the reality is I had some words with God saying, God, can't I just love this one someone in a way that it's enough? 
He said, Jeff, you're trying to do the impossible. I never created woman that man would be enough. I never created marriage that it would be about you as a husband and her as a wife. I created marriage because it's about me. And it's about my story. And it's about my love. It's about my rescue. And it's about me being enough. And what an incredible change has taken place. And I think that by God's grace, we both have discovered a happiness and a deepness in Jesus like we've never had. But let me stop and make sure you all know. That doesn't mean that it's like 24-7 smiles and giggles at the Jake's house. Because we're not home yet. And I haven't seen him face to face yet. And there's a lot of still broken pieces here. And I'm still selfish and I'm still, I'm still trying to put myself in. And this, this one-time realization and epiphany that Jeff isn't enough and Jesus is there. I mean, that was a pretty good epiphany. But you know, the reality is when Jesus says you got to die to yourself and, and pick up your cross and follow me and live for me, that's a daily reminder that that has to be exercised in my life and in my marriage. That reality has to continually penetrate all that we do. I got really two big points, and one is picking up a little bit from last week, God's love story being told through our love story. Because again, we have to remind ourselves that it isn't ultimately about us. It isn't ultimately about our love story. Ultimately, it's about His love story. That's why we have marriage. All right, I had to take Katie to the movies uh, uh, one time to see a movie she already had seen because she came home from this ridiculous chick flick movie with a new name for me. Noah. Those of you who laugh know where I'm going. Nothing about an ark. Nothing about shipbuilding. Nothing about rainbows. This chick flick called The Notebook that I would recommend for the TV version um, had a, an, a pretty neat love story. It's a story of two who went through all the trauma of life, an amazing story of, you know, war separated them and, you know, different sides of the street, you know, it was against all odds and yet a true soulmate love and they eventually come together and they have this incredible life together and now toward the golden years, the, cr- the, the cruelness of Alzheimer has taken its toll. The cruelness of aging has taken its toll. And Noah, madly, unbelievably, ridiculously still in love with his wife who no longer recognizes him. Who no longer remembers the love story that they shared, that they wrote, that was their lives. And so Noah's life has become going to his wife and telling her their love story over and over and over again for those amazing moments where the mind comes back to health and she's able to remember that this is not just a story that I'm hearing, that this is a story that I have lived. This is my story. And in there, there was just life in her eyes as she comes to and she says, Noah, I remember. I know it's you. And then she'll quickly forget and the cruelty of Alzheimer's takes over. But ultimately, Noah was reading the penultimate story. It wasn't the ultimate love story. 
I mean, it was a story that's greater to be told for each one of us. It's the story that God loves us and rescues us. That He is the hero. That He is the point. That He is the purpose. And the love story that we're to tell one another is through our lives and through our marriages ultimately aren't ours. They're His. God has given us the institution of marriage in the beginning of God's book in Genesis. Toward the end, there's going to be a wedding feast. Why? So He could give us a tangible symbol of God's ridiculous love for sinners like us. Marriage is His story, not ours. That is the ultimate story. And what I want to continue to massage into each one of your souls, especially those of you who are sitting here today, who call yourself single, whose society will look at and maybe say, well, you have not found a spouse, got in a spouse. Let me tell you, this love story of God is your love story too. I mean, the bottom line is, this is not a love story that some of the church has as married couples, and some of the church has, it doesn't have, as singles. This is God's love story, and it includes every single one who is in here as a child of God. The youngest to the oldest. The longest married to the most single. It's His story. It's His love story through you. We are all part of the same love story. That's why this message is for all of us. Do you believe it? I mean, that's the ultimate. That is truly the ultimate. That's why it's so important for each one of us. We all have, every single one of you, if you're married or single, we all have the same lover of our souls. The same lover of our souls as our Savior, God's unique, only begotten Son, Jesus That is the lover of our souls. So we are a part, all of us, as born-again true Christians, we are part of the same love story. That's the greatest love story ever told. It's God's love story. And we all have the same lover. The lover of our souls who so amazingly loved us, even while we were sinners, He'd come and rescue us. We all have that same hero. And His name is Jesus. If you're single here today, really, what is your, the point of marriage? What is point? What is a part of your story? It's this. You ready for this? Christ is enough. You are beloved. As Jesus was single right now, God has called you to be single. Paul, who wrote this, was single. Telling the world that it's a lie that really for you to be ultimately happy, ultimately successful, ultimately fulfilled, you must find them in the arms of a spouse. That is looking for something in a spouse that they can never, ever obtain or do. So the story for those of you who are single is to be reminded over and over again. You ready for this? You are Christ's beloved. You are complete in Christ. You are a precious part of the story. Divorced. Your story hasn't been disqualified. Jesus is a lover of our soul, reigns. So forever, whoever you are, no second-class citizens here at Orangewood. No second-class citizens in true in Christ church. And i got to be honest, I'm sure at a church like this that's so family-dominating, thank you singles for sticking with us. And I'm sure we do unintentionally at times make you feel like, heaven forgive us, Christ forgive us if that's the case. But that's not the case of Scripture, okay? 
you're single, the point is this. Don't live out the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Say, if you found Christ Jesus, that is what you're looking for. That is how God has created you. That is the only thing that will fill you. That is it. For singles, what is the point of the story? That Christ is enough and that you are beloved. For married, what is the point of, of, of marriage? That Christ is the point. All right, seriously, men and women who are married, do you realize that in your marriage, the whole point is Jesus? He is the point, the primary. He's ultimate. There's other things that are penultimate. There's other things that are important. Procreation, uh, fellowship. I mean, really, in a lot of ways, marriage is going to point us to Christ. Because try to live with a woman in an understanding manner. That's my best attempt at humor, okay? And I tell you, a guy who preaches on marriage, it's really hard not to become a comedian because there's such great stuff out there on marriage. But I I pushed it away and said, God, I don't want to stand up and do a, a comedy routine on marriage. I want to talk deeply about the picture of marriage. Because I think it's all about Jesus. And that's a whole lot more than just a few laughs. So we have the same lover of our souls. So because of that single, Christ is enough. Married, Christ is the point. I want to tell you a little bit about how I pray. I, I, have a, I have a leather prayer book. I don't know why about leather, but something about a leather book, a leather Bible, a leather prayer book makes me feel more holy. I don't know why, but it does. Don't like paperbacks when it comes to some of those things. Some of my devotionals, if I can buy them in leather, I do. I don't know why. I know, I'm, okay, I'm a weirdie, all right? So, but I have this leather prayer book I got in Istanbul, and it's just really a leather book with a couple of snaps with blank pages that I could write my prayer request in there. And many of your names are there. And some of the people that I've prayed for, I, they, they, they've been crossed out because they're not with Jesus. But when I pray for my marriage, my first line of prayer is this. God, would you please tell your story through my marriage? May my marriage tell of your love and your rescue and your purification. Because if I read Scripture and get it by your grace, I realize that ultimately it is about you. So God, would you tell your story through my marriage? Spouses, have you ever prayed that? Have you ever really looked at your marriage and say the whole point of this whole thing? If I put this, if I put my marriage in the context of the Bible, and I look at marriage in the context of the whole Bible, and it's really ultimately about God's love story, not mine, don't you think that should have significant changes in our marriages? Don't you think that should drive out some selfishness? Don't you think this me and my needs, and she's not meeting my needs, and he doesn't understand me, and and I don't get it, and they don't get it, it just should be driven to the background. It should be, Lord Jesus, what are you teaching me right now about you and about me in this marriage? Lord Jesus, how are you calling me to respond to my spouse in a Christ-like way right now? Lord Jesus, if this is really about you and your love and your love, ready for this, and your love never lets me go, and you're a God who hates divorce, And you're a God who says, what I have brought together, let no man put asunder. Obviously, I'm with the spouse you've intended me to be. If you are sovereign and you are truly, your hand of providence is all over all things. God, how do I honor you by the way I love my spouse? Is the goal of our marriage to be happy or to be holy? 
Is the goal of our marriage to be happy or holy? Well, listen, in the society we live in, in the movies we see, in the drugstore novels that we read, the goal of marriage is to have some romantic love affair that we find happiness. Gary Thomas, in a book that he has written called Sacred Marriage, says that marriage wasn't fully, wasn't ultimately about happiness. The marriage is about holiness. I mean, look at the challenge we see back in Ephesians. Paul is telling us to love our wives as Christ loved the church so that she can become happy, so that she can become fulfilled, so she can become what? Holy and blameless. So she can become more like Jesus. That is the entire goal of our love. What is the point? Well, verses 25 through 27 doesn't even mention happiness. It's all about holiness. This is great news. I went to church. I found out my marriage is all about God and holiness. Say goodbye to happiness. Let's pray. Now listen. The great news that I have for you. Now listen, this is, this is, this is where I think that... I'm a little on thin ice this. Because I think this is where Gary Thomas was short in his book, Sacred Marriage. I think he has a really good point that's biblical that marriage is really about holiness. But if we start thinking, and not that Gary did, but if we start thinking that holiness and happiness are mutually exclusive, we completely miss the mark. Because that's not who our God is, and that's not what holiness produces. But I think that we somehow live in a society at a time that we think that God is this cosmic killjoy and following Him and being imitators of Christ and having our marriage be more driven by holiness and happiness will somehow make us fuddy-duddy, unhappy, pretty stiff people. And that's not the truth. Because happiness and holiness go hand in hand. Do we believe it? Happiness and holiness go hand in hand. Do we believe it? Happiness and holiness go hand in hand. Do we believe it? If we do, we pursue in our marriages. If we want to be ultimately happy, if we want our spouse to be ultimately happy, then we all together in our marriages pursue holiness. Marriage's primary purpose. What is, what is it? I'm going to say it's both. Marriage's primary purpose is to glorify God while telling His story. Did you hear it? Marriage's ultimate purpose is to glorify God. Make Him known and make Him loved and make Him famous. Make Him worshipped. Marriage's ultimate purpose is to glorify God while enjoying Him and telling His story. Marriage is about glorifying God and telling His love story. That is why God has brought us together. That is why both man and female made in His image. Only together do we get the story complete and do we get the story right. Reformed churches like ours, uh, pastors who have to study things like the Westminster Confession of Faith have come to love questions like our first shorter catechism question that summarizes life. What is man's chief end or what is man's primary purpose? Listen, and when he says man here, what does it conclude man and woman? What is our primary purpose? What is the chief end of man? Anybody know? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, I'm going to tell you that it's both. Piper uh, wrote a great, great book. If you haven't read it, you need to if you're a Christian. It's called Desiring God. And Piper said this in his book, Desiring God. 
that we are most glorifying God when we're enjoying Him. By enjoying Him and who He is and what He has done. Enjoying His holiness. Enjoying the amazing rescue of His Son. We glorify God most when we enjoy Him most. It's true of our marriage. We glorify God most in our marriage when we enjoy God most in our marriage, when we're loving one another in His name, when we're bringing to each other Christ in the arms of faith, when we're striving to be Christ to one another. Our marriages will become more holy. And there's such good news. As our marriages become holy, we become more happy. If you remember way back when we started to study in Ephesians, Ephesians 1.4 says that we, before the foundation of the world, are chosen. We're predestined in Christ. It's all God's initiation with us. Why did He choose us? You ready for this? To be happy. No, it says to be holy and blameless, but they're not mutually exclusive. God's love story being told in your story. You want to be happy? May your marriage be for Christ and His kingdom. It's not about us. Sound familiar, Orangewood? Even in our marriages, for Christ and His kingdom, it's not about us. Okay, second point. A love that reveals the mystery of Christ's love for His church. God is calling us to a marriage, uh, and He's calling us, if we are called to marriage, to demonstrate a love that points to Christ. A love that reveals the mystery of Christ's love for His church and for us. Um, I saw a few minutes of a uh, TV show that was one of the most alarming, disappointing, disturbing TV shows I've ever seen. It was kind of like an extreme makeover story. And it had taken some people that the world would say are far from beautiful and would take these people and through modern technology and skilled surgeons' hands, they are going to change and alter and augment body parts and pieces to make them what the world would say is beautiful. And catching a few minutes of the story, uh, they had a husband and wife there, and, and certainly in many standards you'd say they were a fairly homely couple, I guess. And, um, and then the wife goes in, and, and she's going to have this incredible multiple procedures done to her. And the end of the story is, is that they're going to usher out this wife, and the wife is going to be seen by the husband, and they're going to live happily ever after because this man finally gets rid of his homely wife, you know? And... Uh, um, and so it brings her out, and here she is, uh, changed and fixed in, in plastic surgery and all the things that were done to her body um, in an unnatural way. And there is a husband, and he's weeping, and he's crying, and he's saying, Oh, I love you so much. I love you so much. I love you so much. And I wanted to puke. I did, because if there was one man in the world that should have said that to her before surgery, it was him. If there is one man who could love that someone sufficiently enough as God had made her, it was his, her husband. And yet the husband will say, oh, I love you so much because you now had your spots and your wrinkles removed. Your blemishes have gone away. And you're lovely. And you're beautiful. And now I could love you. And that is absolutely opposite of Christ-like love. It couldn't be farther from the truth. Because the truth is this, is that Christ loves us when we're not beautiful. He loves us when we're ugly and defiled and broken and stinky and no chance of getting any better. 
And Christ's love that He tells men to love your wives as Christ loved the church is ready. It's a beautifying love. You love that which is broken. In a way in Christ's name saying, may you love this woman, this man through me to make them beautiful. It just was so sad. A love that makes us lovely. That is what Christianity is about. Listen, do we get it? Do we really understand? We don't get the gospel until we understand. Apart from Christ, we are not lovely. We're hideous. We're sinful. We're scarred. We're dead. And Christ doesn't love us because we are lovely. That's the gospel. The gospel says, I have come for the unlovely. And I'm going to love them in the midst of their brokenness and and filth. But Christ's love makes us lovely. It's a beautiful gospel that we really are in the Father's eyes. Beautiful. I mean, I have the best seat, the best stance for a wedding and open up the doors and here comes a bride dressed in white and no matter what she looked like the night before, she's beautiful. I mean, she's got that wedding dress on it. I'm telling you, something happens and some obviously have natural beauty and something that the dress works, you know? And I, and I sit there and I'm watching thinking, wow, and I love looking at the groom and saying, man, here comes your wife. Look at her. Look at the beauty. And to think, that the Father is going to look at the church like us and say, wow, isn't she beautiful? Because His love has made us beautiful. Because His, His, His blood has washed away our blemishes, our wrinkles, our filth. His robe of righteousness clothes us. And listen, we now are lovely in His sight. His love has made us lovely. We really are. We're beautiful to Him. He has dealt with the penalty of sin. He has dealt with the power of sin. All that that mars us. And someday He'll come again and He'll deal with the presence of sin. And we will forever be without spot as the church of God. We'll be ever without wrinkle. We'll be ever without uh, need of cleansing in Christ. But listen, when God calls you husbands to love Christ as Christ loved the church, it's in a way that points your spouse, your wife to Him It's in a way that makes her holy. It's in a way that makes her beautiful. And I'll tell you something. It's not capable in you to do it. Jesus has got to do it. You cannot take away the wrinkles in your wife. And I'm not talking about those on her face. You cannot take away her spots and her blemishes. You are incapable of doing it. So you must bring your wife to one who is. And thank you, Jesus, it's not some plastic surgeon. It's God's unique son named Jesus. And watch your wife become beautiful in his eyes. And watch your life become beautiful too. And see what story he's going to tell. Christ's love for us makes us lovely. Christ's love is our model. And Calvary is our model. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Men, that's your call. Calvary is your model. That cross right there shows what your love is supposed to be. Selfless. Sacrificing. Eternal. Cleansing. And you cannot love like Christ until you've been loved by Christ.
You cannot love like Christ until you realize what Christ's love has done for you. And the greatest love you could give your wife is bowing your knee to Jesus as Lord and Savior and say, I surrender and I want to become like you because your love is what I need. And I can't love my wife properly until I understand how you love me eternally, deeply, salvifically in a way that gives me life and life eternally. We now live in a society where it's ATM love. I'll punch in certain numbers. You give me something I want. And that's the farthest from what Christ has. Christ says, husband, love your wives as the church. That means you initiate with them. That means you protect them. That means you never let them go. That means that their condition of love does not, doesn't matter the way you give. How they respond is not the point. How they run is not the point. The point is His story. Loving her in Christ's name. So that she's beautiful in Christ. And don't you dare let her go. Because your love story is his love story. And don't you dare let her be defiled. Because this is looking, pointing to Christ's church. And don't you dare think it's ultimately about your love. It's ultimately about his love for us. And a love that makes us one. We've got to get to communion. And I've only just begun... So let's, uh, let's, let's say uh, we'll, we'll pick up uh, with a love that makes us one. Ray, you may have to wait a week for this life-changing sermon. Are you going to be here in two weeks? I don't know. I don't know about that response. This is Jesus' love story. Do you know it? This is the Father's love story. Do you know it? Because we have spiritual Alzheimer's. Because we forget. He gave us a tangible part of a story to remember. And he says this. He says, you got to love, make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. Really, it's true. The one someone is God. And he's the ultimate one that we are to make happy. And I read this morning, he's easy to please, but hard to satisfy. And the only way that he is ultimately satisfied with us is that he would send his son to rescue us. His son would do all that we were supposed to do. He would become broken so that we could become healed and beautiful. He would be spotted. He would be marred. He would be torn so that we could be made beautiful. It's not plastic surgery. It's not a crazy diet. This is what makes us beautiful. This is what's made us beautiful. It's Jesus. And so the bread is a reminder of the cost of our beauty. It cost the Father His only Son. We can't take it lightly. I mean, there was an amazing cost for our beauty and our life. It was just poured out blood. The only thing that could wash us and make us radiant. It's a meal just for the family. So if you have yet to embrace Christ as Savior, please don't take of this meal that says you have. Because you haven't made that someone happy yet. And that someone is the Father. 
And the only way you make that someone happy is you embrace His Son. And then we hear in our ears, in our hearts, in our soul, that is now my Son in whom I am well pleased in Christ. And because we have spiritual Alzheimer's, we come again to the table and say, tell me again the story, God. Tell me again about the rescue. Tell me again about the lover of my soul. Feed me in Christ so I now could tell His story to a world. Feed me so I could be the husband I need to be, the wife I need to be, the single person I need to be, the student I need to be. Remind me again, beloved. The ushers will ask you to come forward. There'll be three elders by the cross. If you want to come and pray, maybe there's something on your heart that you need to just deal with before you come to the table, after the table, you want prayer, they'll be there. There'll be three pastors up here. Joe and Robert and I will be here with an elder. Um, the, the bread is for all, the whole piece is for you. Um, we're doing this on purpose. We want this to be a little longer, uh, a little bit more memorable. Uh, we're going to pour for you some juice. Um, and we're going to ask you to take it back to your seats. Don't take it up here. And as the singing is going on, join in with the singing. But let's spend what the time we have remaining of just celebrating the greatest love story ever. Are you a part of it? And if you are Church of the Living God, those born again, come and partake. If you are unable to come to the table, we'll have someone here. Raise your hand. We know we, know we have some beloved members who can't come forward. We love you. Uh, we want to come to you. Um, and so if you will just raise your hand at some time, I think Mike Dwyer will be here, one of our elders, and he'll come and serve those who uh, can't come forward or choose not to. Okay? I think that I have gotten through anything I'm missing. All right, let's pray. Father God, you know, <laughs> the ultimate love story is not Romeo and Juliet. It's not the notebook. It's your love story. And it includes us as your children. It's the most amazing thing that a holy God would love us and demonstrate love while we were still sinners. Jesus would come and he would love us enough to die for us, to be resurrected for us. And now we again have the privilege of of, of literally partaking of the story again spiritually. Taking again the body and blood spiritually that was broken for us, that was shed for us, so that we can be lovely and beautiful, so that Christ can be enough if we're single, and so that Christ can be the point if we're married. And Father, would you come and would you feed your church again? Would you make us beautiful again? Would you forgive our sins? And God, would your Holy Spirit come with such power that that God, for all the selfishness in our marriages and all the selfishness as singles that grumble to you because of the fact we say you're not enough. God, for all the selfishness that we want our love story to be ultimate, would you just come and erase it all in Christ's blood? And Jesus, would you come here and be among us in such a powerful way that you feed your church, you remind your church, you love your church, you take away our spots and our wrinkles, all that's defiled us again. We thank you that we are radiant in Christ. We thank you that that one sacrifice was enough. And Father, we ask that you would now come and feed us again in Christ's name. Amen.